It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Welcome back to the, uh, you know, to the to the show that we're doing right now. Following the local teams, breaking down the biggest games with in-depth analysis and team interviews. There's going to be much higher expectations, sense of awareness of what uh, we bring to the table. Join the show by calling into 435-752-1069 or text 435-339-0321. It's the Full Court Press. Throws, and yes! Touchdown, did he get it? Hey, what's going on, everybody? Eric France and Jason Walker here on the Full Court Press. Thanks for tuning in on a Tuesday. Happy New Year. Welcome on into another show, another uh, another year, right, here of the Full Court Press. <laughs> Trying to make sense of what's going on in, in the world of sports, both locally, regionally, nationally, things like that. I know that um, you know big topics today uh, on the national networks, and deservedly so, for what happened Monday night in uh, Monday night football in Cincinnati, um, but um, you know there are other things that are going on that that we're going to focus on here on the on the the fan and full court press at least during this uh, this hour, uh, and a more local focus with what's uh, what's on our minds because there are several things that are happening. You know, Utah State Aggies are in action tonight. Utah Jazz are in action tonight. We have high school basketball that gets underway, as we talked about this last hour, that's uh, picking up again uh, tomorrow and several games throughout this week. But, um, you know, a couple other things that we want to get through here on the show. Uh, but, uh, again, we are certainly are mindful of what's what's going on with the, the Bills fans and the, and the Bengals fans uh, with everything that happened last night. But um, one of the things that uh, kind of happened today – uh, another big event that happened today, Jason, was there's uh, th- this transformation committee has been together uh, looking at ways to uh, transform or improve or change the NCAA. And uh, it, it was for the Division One. and there's been some, some blowback on this, apparently. There's this committee that got together and uh, had their ideas um, and rather than before, well, they, they put their ideas together about how to improve the, the future of the NCAA, but before giving it to their board of directors, who ultimately has to approve it, uh, they went straight to the media, which is kind of interesting, that they bypassed their board of directors and went straight to the media with their proposals. But one of the things that's, uh, that kind of stands out with this uh, new proposal about transforming or improving or expanding the NCAA is about postseason play, and uh, one of the recommendations is that if there is a sport that consists of more than 200 institutions, they should try to implement a postseason that includes 25 percent of the teams that meet the D1 standard in that sport. So for basketball which has, what, over 360 teams participating? If you're going to have 25% of the teams participate in your postseason, Jason, that could be up to 90 teams for the <laughs> for March Madness. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And I'll tell you what, though. You know which other sport has more than 200 Division One participants? Football. It does? 
FBS and FCS are both Division One. Uh, I mean, I don't think that ends up counting because they probably see them as separate. Yes. But there's yeah, there's 200, according to Wikipedia, it tells me. That, so there's only 130, 131 uh, FBS teams and about, this, about as many FCS teams. So Wikipedia is telling me 257. Well, I think the math might be slightly off there, which is a lot. But other, you know, basketball, they're in the 360s. Baseball and soccer uh, men's baseball uh, and soccer are both north of 200, so that's that's a lot. For that's a, it's greatly they, expanding postseason participation. Yeah. And I don't know how large their postseasons are. I know the the College World Series is a pretty uh, it, it's a well known event. Like people are obviously aware of it. And it usually gets a lot of TV coverage. It's usually the only part of the college baseball season anyone pays attention to. True. Um, you know, there's other, look at the other, you know, the women's team sports. There's, you know, four different um, sports that could be effective for them. Basketball, soccer, volleyball, and softball. All of them have, well, three of those have at least 300 teams. Softball has almost 300 teams at 293. Again, this according to Wikipedia. I don't know if the, uh, <laughs> if the numbers are exactly right, but I'm sure they're ballpark accurate. So, no, I don't know how big the playoffs are for each of these sports. Now, we were just going over volleyball, and I think that was only like 32 or so teams. I can't remember. Of course, and the problem with that is that they only give seedings to like the top 16 teams. So Utah State was an unseeded team playing a sixth seed. But I think it was only 32 teams, so that could see some expansion there. I don't know if they're doing this with the intent to increase college basketball's, you know, March Madness. Um, I really hope I they sure don't. I hope not. It's, it's already big enough, and you can argue it's already too big. It's fine. I don't really care. If you really wanted to argue is it too big or too small, the answer is it's too big, but nobody cares because we all like it. If you make it bigger, that's when it's, okay, this is getting a little ridiculous. Right. It just would further devalue the regular season uh, the more teams that you start letting in and logistically uh, look I'm all for you know great basketball and seeing the little guy go up against the, the a, a powerhouse or somebody from a bigger conference uh, and give them a chance to to win those games and yes invariably there's there are good teams that get left out of the field of 68 but you keep moving the goalposts and there's going to be a good team that's left out uh, and it just uh, you have to have a standard uh, and a uh, a qualification uh, to uh, you know to to get those teams in and to qualify, and look, I think it's working great at sixty eight. I don't think we need to expand it anymore. I know there's a lot of folks that say, look, if you win your regular season, you get a first round buy, or something like that. You take your regular season champs and your tournament champs. That's how you start to set your field, and then you could do your at larges from there. But look, it's it's not. It's not that controversial. That's part of the excitement of the tournament is who gets in and why. And, yeah, there's maybe some – Aggies have felt this. This hits close to home. Aggies have felt this where they got left out before. But, look, it, it's at 68. It's working great. Let's just – if we want to expand the soccer postseason or the volleyball or softball, great. That's fine. Uh, and I, I look at one of the lines here – from the statement of the uh, 
the 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 release the statement that was released from co-chairs Julie Cromer and Greg Sankey, and they said. Ultimately, we want as many student-athletes as possible to start each season with Division One National Championship dreams. Okay, yeah, and that's great. We want everybody to think they have a chance. But, I mean, come on. I mean, let's, let's be reasonable with how many teams are getting through and just logistically in the expense of how it's, how it's done. And really all this does, uh, when you look at it, um, is open up more opportunities for power conferences to send more of their teams to earn more money. It doesn't really open more doors for the smaller or mid-range schools uh, like they would try to let us believe. Yeah, that, and that is the main problem is that I'm not so much concerned. And you brought up the, you know, devaluing the regular season. I don't necessarily care about that argument one way or the other. For me, it really is this, okay, what would the purpose of expanding, we can use the March Madness as an example, what's the purpose of expanding that? To me, the number one purpose would be to allow other teams in like one bid conferences to actually have a chance outside of winning three straight games in early March. Um, that's why, you know, saying like, all right, win the regular season or the conference tournament. <coughs> I kind of dislike the auto bid being tied to the conference tournament. Um, I'm not, it's not a deal breaker. I don't hate it. I just don't like it. I'd like to see the regular season champion be rewarded for being the regular season champion. They earned it over 30-ish games, you know, and over 18 to 20 um, conference games. Right. Be, be tied to your, your, your overall body of work, not just a few days on a neutral court. Yeah. And so, you know, if you wanted to expand the tournament to, I don't know, 75-ish, I've got to have an even number, so... Whatever number would work, if you expanded it slightly and then added every regular season um, conference winner and conference tournament winner, I could be okay with that. I wouldn't like it. I'd prefer you just stayed at 68 and did that, but I could live with it. Because there's going to be cases where whomever wins the regular season could also win the tournament. That yeah, that happens, but there are a good number of, of cases where that doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's where, you know, in, in these one-bid leagues, you have the one team that maybe they go 18-0 and in conference play, and then they lose a random game in the conference tournament, and they're done. <clears throat> that, that, that's not fair to them. They're a team that deserves to be in the tournament, and they're getting robbed of that because just bias against the, uh, the conference. You automatically do not get in because of your conference, and that, that's not the way it is. And so you kind of alluded to this. Part of the uh, thing with expansion, you say, oh, we get all those teams in. No, you wouldn't. All the one-bid leagues, they'd stay one-bid leagues. You might add maybe one or two of them becomes a two-big league. But basically every one-bid league stays that way. Guaranteed. Right, you just end up sending more Big 12 teams yeah. and more SEC teams and more Big 10 teams. Yeah, that, that's, that's what it would be. You'd be sending. Because your argument would be, well, look at their regular competition through the regular season. Yeah. They're a better team. Yeah, you'd be using the same arguments and all that crap, and nothing would change save you send more you know, major conference teams. So the whole reason for expansion would be to get more one-bid league teams in and also, you'd maybe raise with the Mountain West a little bit, where it becomes a, I don't know, at, you know, two bid league sometimes at best four or five, they could get five or six in a good year, <coughs> and 
you know, it, it, it you know, buoy them up. And the Mountain West probably would. Like, they'd be one of the conferences that would benefit from yeah, expansion. They probably would. They probably would. Because you would get more SEC and more all that, but the Mountain West would get more too. So <clears throat> Mountain West, I, I'd love to see more, you know, more teams because it would benefit the Mountain West. But for me, um, even from a, you know, Utah State Mountain West perspective, I say the point of expansion should be to help one bid leagues and it wouldn't the way it's currently set up, so there's no reason to expand. Other than the obvious, they just want more money. So that's why they some of these teams <laughs> want to expand. Which, sure, but don't be... At least just admit it and don't say, oh, we're doing this for the little guy. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. We're no, doing this for the little guy, says the SEC commissioner, as he gets five more teams into the tournament. <laughs> so the, 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 the it was more... The recommendations here are more than just about postseason access. Uh, some of the things that they discussed was that there would be uh, they would create sports-specific management committees, which I actually like because then if there's an issue with that particular sport, that committee that's focused on that sport can make a decision or a- adopt guidelines and, and things can happen a lot quicker rather than going through all the bureaucracy of going all the way up to the top feeding its way down through other committees, working its way back down. It just takes a longer it's a longer process. So if you have people that are focused on that particular sport, it can help move things along more quickly. And so I, I applaud that recommendation. Yeah, that's fine. You know, and when you're running leagues like this, and as you get further and further and sports are getting bigger and bigger, you got to adjust. you got to adjust the bureaucracy, you know, adjust all these things. And it's just one of those things. And it's necessary maintenance. Right. That's, that's how as it is. Technology changes, as interpretation of rules changes, as new new teams or new playoff formats, then this sport-specific uh, committee can get together and make those decisions rather than going through the full NCAA bureaucracy uh, moving things along. Uh, one of the other things, too, which is kind of cool, is that they've recommended a new requirement that all Division One schools provide medical coverage for athletics-related injuries for a minimum of two years following graduation or completion of athletics experience. So it would be what they call a more holistic athlete benefits model that they're trying to approach um, and uh, also pay for athletes who are on full scholarships to get their degrees within 10 years of leaving school. So a couple other things that are, are better for athlete welfare um, that, uh, that I think that's, that's solid. I, appro- I approve that. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, it's, it's not money, my money, so I don't care. And you, obviously you like to see them looking after the athletes, um, especially getting degrees and also medical care because a lot of these athletes can suffer life-altering injuries. You know, you might tear your ACL in college. It may not. You might get back to the field, but down the line, granted it's only two years out, but down the line that can still hurt. Right, and, and there's a consideration here where um, if you get injured while participating in a sport, then you graduate and you technically leave campus. You leave the umbrella of everything that the institution takes care of. Then you're on your own for your own rehab and follow-up, and if there have to be other surgeries or procedures done – that can really be expensive. And to be honest, I think I, I would consider extending that, uh, well, if I was in charge, at least think about you know, extending that two years to well, the 10 years. You're trying to help them get their degree 10 years later. And I can understand why up to 10 years because 
sometimes for some players, a couple years after they've left, sometimes they're focusing on like professional or other things. Like they're not looking to get their degree. They left school early to go be a professional athlete, maybe. So you got to give them some time to get back. Okay, now I can start my degree because my, you know, average pro careers don't last much more than four or five years. They get back, they go get a degree, enter the workforce. Um, but medical-wise, I feel like there's a reason for that because you talk about rehab and things like that. They can go on for your whole life, depending on the injury. <laughs> oh, that's true. Um, one other thing, too, that was kind of interesting is that um, there's been an attendance requirement for football um, where you need to average 15,000 fans per game once every two years to maintain FBS status. And it looks like that may be there's a recommendation to eliminate that. Uh, there's to have that disappear. Um, so that that could be interesting. I know that's uh, Utah State used to be on that on that bubble. Certainly, there's concerns with Hawaii with their stadium situation um, if they would meet that criteria. But uh, there's some movement that says you know that really shouldn't be a requirement to be an FBS level school. Yeah, and I've, I've not really looked into, you know, what would make an FCS or FBS school, and I, I don't really, you know, haven't looked into the politics because there's reasons you want to be an FC, FBS school, and there's a lot of FCS teams that in some ways could make the jump to FBS, but there's a lot of behind-the-scenes attendance being one of those and a bunch of other financial reasons. The attendance, I'm not sure why you'd get rid of that other than that, like, I can I, I could understand suspending it for a little bit, because we did just go through COVID, and that was a mess, and attendance was you know jacked up for a lot of people. I imagine there were probably a lot of waivers from a lot of teams saying, hey, and the NCO's like, yeah, we get it, okay, let's move it along and get back to normal. Um, I, I feel like there should probably be some requirement to show that, like, hey, we are an actual FBS team. Um, right, so what, <clears throat> if it's not that, then what do you... What is your minimum threshold? I mean, there has to be some floor yeah. about w- what what do we accept as a baseline FBS participant? Yeah, and it's been tied to attendance. That's usually been the the one thing to determine if you are an FBS level school or not. And if now to be clear, they're they're not saying that it should go away, but it should be examined if it need, if it should be required going forward. But basically, it's it's saying like, do we really need this requirement? But if not that then what that would be my question if what else would you use as a determining factor if you are going to be an fbs school or not yeah and and i don't know the answer to that question for i don't, I don't have an answer what it would be like i say i think it should be attendance maybe you can get rid of it but i, w- I wouldn't know what would replace it you, you think like relegation yeah <laughs> just performance that's the thing it is tied to performance <laughs> Um, if you don't win a certain number of games in a, I don't know, let's call it a, a five-year span, because you should be able to make up your roster or change things, your coaches and everything, maybe five years. I don't know, just every year. <laughs> Not enough, I don't know. But if you can't perform, if you can't get an X number of wins in that amount of time, then why are why are you still in this level? Yeah, I'd say <laughs> barring tying it to performance, <laughs> there's not much else you can do. Um, cause yeah, other than just tradition, I guess, cause there's a lot of schools that are traditionally FBS teams, Utah state's one of them. They've been FBS or whatever's been FBS their entire existence. 
Um, so, like, other than that, like, what makes Utah State an FBS team? Other than they ju- have always been one. Ever well, since the NCAA, whenever the NCAA came out, you know. I mean, part of the attendance does make sense. I mean, it's because it's, in some way, it's a, it's a sport that requires a lot of investment, of capital investment to make it work. And so you have to have, especially at this level. And so if you have, you have to have a certain level of regular attendance in order to, you know, clear your bottom line to make that sport work at this level. And maybe that's where that 15,000 number came from, though that's been out there for years. So I'm sure that number could, could fluctuate and change. But maybe it's about that. I mean, if you're averaging 15,000 in your arena, then your, your athletic department is going to meet a certain level of financial ability to compete, travel, get your right equipment, training, things like that. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know where that magic number comes from and why that was originally set, but it's something that is going to be reevaluated. Maybe you just tie it directly to, all right, how much money are you spending on your football program? If you're spending X amount of dollars in your football program, like Utah State for the last few years has been around $30 million-ish. I don't know if that's gone up. The last numbers I've checked are from like 2015, that's 2016. That's total athletic budget. Yeah, I guess it's total athletic. Football is, I think, like half that. Or, yeah, I forget what percentage of football actually makes up that whole thing. It's a lot. Probably a third, <laughs> yeah. at least. Um, they're one of the two sports that actually makes money uh, with any regularity. Um, so, yeah, just say, all right, this so you... You know, football team. You spend X million dollars on it. That makes you Division One. Or if it's a, you know, any other sport, you spend such and such hundred thousand million dollar whatnot on that program. Like, just say, all right, if you're an FBS team or you, or Division One, this is how much you like. You got you got to have an investment in it. Yep, minimum level, and then it, it kind of like it escalates over. So there's a a factor that grows over time. So it follows yeah. spending levels and yeah. trends. And adjusts for inflation and all that. So yeah. it's like. Know, maybe that's the key. Yeah. I don't know. But it's <laughs> worth examining. Like, why do we have this number and uh, should it be adjusted? Um, and how many teams would would be affected if that is adjusted in, in different ways? So, uh, anyway, some interesting stuff from the NCAA and the Transformation Committee uh, with some of their recommendations. Uh, that were out. Certainly, the the biggest that's caught a lot of people's attention is the 25% of all uh, participating schools um, could qualify for postseason, and uh, for uh, the NCAA men's basketball, that could expand it up to 90 participants uh, if that were to be adopted. So, just going back, I looked up uh, average attendance for college football. FBS, basically everyone. Hit minus like ten teams, um, meets the fifteen thousand threshold. A handful of Mountain West teams don't actually meet it though. New Mexico's like barely under, like fourteen thousand nine hundred sixty-six barely under. Ooh. They were over it in twenty twenty-one. They were sixteen thousand, but Nevada fourteen thousand nine hundred, and Hawaii as you mentioned, though they have a uh, you know 
there's a there's a pretty big reason for that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> all right, uh, more to get into. We certainly want to talk more about the Mountain West. How about Utah State in the Mountain West Conference in hoops? Uh, got off to a good start on New Year's Eve, taking on Air Force Academy tonight. What do we know about Air Force? And the Utah Jazz also in action, hosting the uh, Sacramento Kings. A lot of close losses for the Jazz. Can they get back on track? We'll discuss that coming up next. Home at Carroll has a farm and appliance farm. With down-home country prices and big city selection. E-I-E-I-O. When you're looking for a friendly spot to drive a little and save a lot, hey, home Copiers, printers, service, and supplies are just the beginning. Les Olson IT is the premier source for your business's structured cabling, IT, software, telephones, and security systems. We partner with you to find the ideal solution to all of your office technology needs. Tell us your goals and we'll get you there. Find out more at lesolson.com. Les Olson IT. We're heading into some crazy weather this winter, which means power outages. Tyler and his team at Golden Spike Electric can install a Generac automatic standby generator for your home so you can avoid issues when the power goes out. If you have one already, Golden Spike Electric can maintain your Generac automatic standby generator for you. Find them online at gsegenerators.com or call 435-257-3016. Golden Spike Electric and Generac automatic standby generators. Power you can count on. And now, the, the, the Dan Patrick Show. Dan Patrick. I don't think there's anybody who thought Patrick Mahomes doesn't have enough time to be able to go down and score and, and beat the Chargers. <laughs> That's how I felt. No, and, and, and look, I, I just realized, you know, there's just certain things where in sports, you accept it. The Dan Patrick Show. Dan and the Danettes. And you. Weekday mornings from 7 to 10 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. It's the Full Court Press. Weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. back hour two of the full court press jason walker here uh we have deceived you because eric franson actually hasn't been here the last few minutes we did pre-record some of the stuff uh we're gonna have another segment here we talk about utah state basketball uh, i am here in the meantime i'm still i'm still in the studio this is still live i uh, wanted to read some of your text though uh, obviously a lot of reactions got a lot of texts in from you guys then we'll we'll uh kick it over to uh back to me and eric uh, to largely finish out the show, I uh, had a few texts came in towards the end of the last hour. Um, six five four three. So sorry for uh, not uh, you know reading out your text. Probably we're like forty five minutes after you uh, uh, sent it. He they asked uh, please comment on the names that have appeared in the transfer portal. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm actually in the I was actually in the process while that segment was playing with me and Eric because the process of updating. 
the transfer portal tracker that we have on CashVilleDilly.com. There's a new name that's in the portal, uh, Brian Phillips reporting it, and then Arian Peoples, it, that's the name. He's a defensive tackle. Uh, he basically confirmed it on his own Twitter page. Um, so he's in the transfer portal. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys right now that are, um, you know, there are backups who are looking for more opportunity. And then there's some who, uh, you know, there's some who uh, want to, uh, there's some who are trying to move up. You know, Daniel Grishik, uh, Byron Vons, those are two guys who are getting numerous P5 offers. You know, Byron Vons getting wooed by the Pac-12, even Notre Dame. Uh, Daniel Grishik, who's getting offers from Houston, Indiana, Missouri, Cincinnati. Uh, Waylon Lapuaho going to BYU. So there, there's some big names in there, and it's going to hurt. And the defensive line, there's like this mass exodus from the defensive line. And it kind of makes you wonder what's going on there. But, you know, the, the transfer portal is really mean to Utah State on the first day. Though it's calmed down a little bit. We'll see how things going, though. Uh, 2603 says, uh, we need to keep it. Uh, we, were, we were talking earlier about, you know, uh, expansion of playoffs. Uh, said, we need to keep it at 68 teams. This is for men's college basketball. Uh, and award the regular season champions and the conference champions if they are separate with automatic bids. And I kind of agree with that, where I said, like, you know, I could probably live with 70-something teams if you know, a very light expansion, then, yeah, you know, if it was to reward regular season champions, if you were like, it, that has to go with it. If you expand it all without any, you know, help of one-bid leagues, then it just can't do it. Um, it's already too big. And, and as I said in the segment, like, I don't care that it's too big because I like it, but if it gets bigger, then it becomes a problem, and then it becomes bloated. Um, You can already make the argument that it's bloated, but we're fine. Don't expand it and make it a problem when you don't need to. Um, Got a few texts in from 9315. says, if there was like 80 or so in men's basketball, would that mean teams with losing records would make the tournament? And... Yeah, I think it would. Like, it might. It probably wouldn't happen every year, but you'd have teams with losing records that would make it in. I, it's actually already happened. Teams with losing records have made the tournament, but it's generally been pretty rare, and most of them uh, won their conference tournament. But there would potentially be at-large teams making the tournament. If you're getting into the '80s and '90s of number of teams, you would be looking at teams getting at-large bids with. Uh, Losing records. Uh, nine through and five also saying, just think if they attach that stuff when you graduate to the transfer portal, and then saying, all saying, uh, saying the last school you transfer to foots the bill. I think talking about uh, um, medical bills and things like that. We're talking about uh, NCAA trying to improve quality of life in terms of helping people get their uh, education, also extending medical coverage just slightly beyond. Um, when you leave. Uh, 7994 um, says, performance, Vanderbilt? I don't think so. Money, Vanderbilt? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, talking about, I was referencing, you know, getting more SEC teams in. Um, into the tournament, you know, more major conference teams into the tournament. It's like, yeah. Some teams don't deserve it based on performance, but, you know, money-wise. Uh, 9310, not to be confused with 9315, 
says the expanding of benefits of college athletes lays the burden on cost of the average student. I'm not sure privileges need to be expanded for the few athletes at the cost of an average student. I'll be honest, that, I had not thought of that. And I feel like that's actually a good argument. Um, because, and I have in the past not liked the amount of privileges that college athletes get. But we do need to understand that they're making a lot of money off the backs of these athletes. And I, I do understand that that cost is going to go on the average student. The average student foots way too much of the athletics budget bill. Um, so there is a question of, all right, who are we being fair to? Are we being fair to the students at the university or fair to the athletes? Because unfortunately, in this, this is a true statement. Nine through one zero is right here. Um, at least in, in terms of, you know, where the cost is going. So the question is, who are we being fair to? Because we can't really do both. Um, and obviously when talking about it in the moment, obviously we went straight to let's be fair to the athletes. But there is some consideration that has to be laid that there are other people paying for it um, who aren't reaping any of the benefits that the athletes or the university is getting. So that that is a fair point uh, from, from 9310, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, eight nine six eight. Um, with a couple of texts. Um, saying, I asked, even pleaded, and even begged, and so far the heavens haven't heard me because I still can't get a decent station to listen to the Aggie game. So, I'm sorry. That's that's a clever text, you know, going off of our uh, little commercial there, and in, in intro. Um, he also. T- Texan saying the Aggies were a victim of being in a one-bid league. One of Stu Morrill's teams won the Big West hands down, but lost to, to a Cal Davis who basically sandbagged the whole season when suddenly just before the tournament about six or seven players became eligible. Yeah, and there was, I don't know if that was the same year that the Aggies were ranked in the top 25 and didn't make it in because they were in the one-bid, one uh, well, they were in the WAC and they were in the Big West. I don't know which, which conference they were in when they were ranked and didn't make it in was either the Big West or the WAC. But yeah, the Aggies, you know, th- that's part of why I have the sympathy for for uh, one-bid leagues. Like, there's these teams, and the Aggies were one of them. They're not anymore. They're in a conference where they can get at-large bids, realistically. But they didn't used to, and it hurt them. There are a couple, you know, times the Aggies should have got in. Um, 6800... Uh, sorry if I missed it, but we, did we already cover Donovan Mitchell's 71 last night? We actually didn't. Um, we'll probably talk about uh, that a bit tomorrow. We're actually this next segment we're going to play that we got to rush into uh, has to do with uh, uh, Utah State against Air Force. So we're going to cut to break. When we come back, we'll get into that, and then we'll uh, close up shop after that. So we'll have more after this on 106.9 The Fan. Elements has delicious lunch specials, two for $30, or the new soup, salad, and bread special for just $10 is tasty and quick. Elements' lunch menu is full of scrumptious items prepared with a personal touch. Wood-fired pizzas are an excellent choice that include barbecue chicken and the bee's knees. The fresh-battered halibut fish and chips with seasoned fries is always a hit. And don't forget the fan-favorite Munster Burger, casual or professional. Open Monday through Thursday, 11.30 to 8 p.m., and Friday and Saturday, 11.30 to 9 p.m., Visit TheElementsRestaurant.com for reservations today. It's that first kiss, that moment in time. It's that look in her eye when you get the first. 
It's never too late or too cold to get rid of that old vehicle. Now is the time to earn extra cash by calling DD Auto and Salvage. Let them pay you for that junk vehicle. DD Auto and Salvage makes it so easy and fast to get rid of your junker vehicles by paying you the most money possible. Pickup is available. If you have metal, DD Auto and Salvage in Logan wants to pay you today. Call 787 1204. That's 787 1204 today. See store for details. Breaking down the biggest games with in-depth analysis and team interviews. It's the Full Court Press with Eric Franson and Jason Walker. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Eric Franson, Jason Walker. And uh, talking about, let's shift gears here. Talking about Utah State Aggies. Uh, they're in action tonight. Uh, pre-game coverage uh, for KVNU game day. We'll start at 6 on 102 FM, 610 AM. And tip-off will be at 7 uh, for those who will not be in Colorado Springs. You can watch it on CBS Sports Network tonight. And uh, Utah State, uh, kind of in an interesting scheduling uh, situation here where in back-to-back games, playing against teams that really like to slow it down and uh, have low-scoring outputs. But uh, Air Force kind of in a different way than, than uh, Fresno State does. But before we get into Air Force and the matchups tonight in that one, let's talk about that Fresno State win on New Year's Eve. And uh, we'd wondered if, if the Aggies, as a team, under Ryan Odom, could really function in a grinded-out, low-scoring affair, and they proved that they can. Yeah, it was a little awkward because in the post-game press conference, Dan Akin brought up the tweet I had sent out. He didn't remember who had said he didn't know that it was me. But they brought up that tweet that I'd sent out saying Utah State was 0-15 in games where they'd scored 72 or fewer points so far under Ryan Odom. So they were aware of this fact. (laughs) Um, And mind you, I just wrote it off as this weird trend, sort of indicative of, yeah, this team likes to score more points, but so does everybody. So, like, teams that score fewer points, you know, when when teams score 7,200 points, they tend to lose. You know, Ryan Odom had a losing record at UMBC when he scored 72 or fewer points. Utah State, you know, uh, over the last, like, 10, 12 years before Odom had a losing record uh, worse than Ryan Odom's record when scoring 72 or fewer points. Like, it's not weird that you lose when you do that. It was the fact they had never won. (laughs) It was a big goose egg. Yeah, that was the weird trend about it. And it was maybe indicative of a little bit of, okay, this team, like, is it just a psychological thing? Because you couldn't tie it to any specific thing. Because, like, well, Utah State, there's plenty of times where Utah State holds its opponents to 60-ish points. They've done it several times this year. They held Fresno State to 54. Um, and, you know, Seattle to 56. There's times where they can hold their opponents to low scoring. So, like, why can't they win just if they score fewer? Like, what's the difference between, you know, you beat Seattle 84-56, would it be that... Like, what if they just scored 70 in that game? Like, why would it matter if they didn't reach 72 in that game? So it's just this really weird trend 
Maybe they just feel sad when they aren't scoring that many <laughs> points and don't play defense. Um, that's basically the only explanation is that if they're not scoring on offense, maybe they don't play as well on defense. I don't know. It, it was just a really weird trend. But they broke it. Yeah, they proved that they so can. They're now 1-15 in 15 <laughs> when scoring 72 or fewer points. And we thought that this game might be like that because you mentioned Fresno State, they slow the game down. And they have ways to do that. And it was hard for Utah State to break out of that because the only way to break out of it was just to play absolutely suffocating defense for 40 minutes. Because if Fresno State scores, then they play this kind of soft full-court press where it's not really meant to cause turnovers. It's just meant to have you cross half-court with like 22 seconds left. Right, kill clock. Yeah, so instead of a 30-second shot clock, you get 22 or, or 24. And that... Over the course of the game, we'll knock 10, 12 possessions off the off the game. And if you're a team like Fresno State, who's horrible at offense, that lowers the you know the the gap. You know, if you have a good offensive game, then it gets you a little closer to maybe having an upset. And what we're seeing is uh, in the trends so far on the year for Air Force is that uh, they similarly like to kind of keep things um, in, in a lower lower kind of category um, in some of the games that they have they have won uh, they've had some low scoring games 64 59 uh, had some games where they've only scored 51 um, but they've also had some games where they've put up some a fair amount of points 79 against South Dakota 80 against Arkansas State 81 against Tarleton um, but again those aren't necessarily world beater teams. Uh, but this is a team that um, can slow it down a little bit. Um, and uh, Air Force is coming into this one having lost two in a row. Uh, a loss uh, against San Diego State really kind of got blown out. And then they lose to uh, Nevada, a little bit closer game, but um, still on the on a losing side there. Uh, Air Force coming in with a, a two-game losing streak. Yeah, Air Force, and they started the year, you know, all of 9-4, and four, which for a team that's – been below 500 for the better part of uh, just about every year for the better part of a decade or more, you know, starting nine and four is pretty solid. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the two straight losses, um, one of those at home, you know, to Nevada, I was, it, it may be a bit of a, a rude awakening for them where they thought, okay, we're nine and four, but then you realize just how tough Mountain West play is. Obviously San Diego State's a really good team, but Nevada, they're middle of the pack. And you lose it home to them. And it's like, okay, Mountain West play might be tough. So Air Force is realizing that. But Air Force is still a very tough team to play on the road. Uh, they're a team that, like last year, Utah State, Utah State played Air Force three times last year. Twice they beat them by 27 points, exactly 27 points both times. Once in the spectrum and then in the conference tournament. When they went and played Air Force on the road, Utah State had one of its worst offensive performances of the last decade and a half. 47 points, single-digit three-point percentage. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was really bad. So, and sometimes you just have a night like that. Um, hopefully it won't happen again. This team's a little bit better shooting-wise. Um, but obviously it took that much because... They had one of the worst offensive performances, again, of a long time. Nearly lost by two. But then again, that's all it takes. Yeah. And in, in a slow-it-down game, Air Force was perfectly happy to play a game that's in the 40s. 
or the or the fifties. Because then all it takes is just a bucket or two, and any college basketball team worth their salt can get a bucket or two. Uh, so a couple of interesting things about uh, about Air Force is that uh, scoring offense, they average about sixty nine points a game, not not a lot. But one thing that really kind of stands out is their three point percentage defense. They rank fourteenth in the country, uh, only allowing about twenty seven point six percent from their opponents from three, and that's certainly been one of Utah State's strengths. So the Aggie. Uh, perimeter offense versus the Air Force perimeter defense. And that's really the strength of Air Force is in their guard play. They're not a big team. Uh, and so they have a lot of guys that they will play, and um, most of them are, what, 6'5 or less, 6'6 six, six or less? Yeah, their entire starting lineup is either 6'4 or 6'5. So on the low end, you know, their shortest guy is 6'4, but their tallest guy is 6'5. So they, they had a 6'10 guy at the start of the year, but he got injured, so he's out. And I think they have one guy who comes off the bench. He's actually, you know, at this point, a three-time freshman player of the week. Um, I don't know if I can say his name properly. Um, oh, where is it? I'm looking at my preview. Ritus uh, Petritus? I don't know if I'm saying that anywhere in the realm of being right. Um, but he's like 6'7", I think, 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, um, very versatile player. He could be a huge key in this. Especially against the Utah State team that's really tall. And you mentioned the Air Force being good at guarding you know, the perimeter. But with that height, Utah State really needs to take advantage of taking the ball to the rack. You know, Sean Barristow posting guys up. Dan Akin getting open. You know, getting into driving lanes, dumping off to Dan Akin. Akin just finishes it. You know, when Doris is in for his 8 to 10-ish minutes, he's got to be able to finish. Like, dude, you know, you're going to be half a foot taller than basically everyone you're going against. you got to be able to finish. And he's done better of late. He's actually he's yeah. performed much better last five or six games so he can he can provide you know eight to ten quality minutes and a few extra baskets um so it's, it's going to be huge for utah state to get inside because you know they'll shoot decently from three i imagine if air force does their best against utah state the aggies could shoot in the mid 30s from three which could be enough still to beat air force if you're shooting well enough but the key to making this game a comfortable win It'll be a lot like, I think it was San Francisco that was just selling out. Completely sold out on guarding the three. And Utah State was just, you know, forming a layup line inside. They're just dumping it off. And and uh, was that can have his, like, 19 or 21 points in that game or something like that? I think uh, there was, it was either that or Loyola. He, had, like, he led the team in scoring one of those games. Yeah, in against San Francisco it was Akin. Yeah, he had 19. Yeah, so... This could be another game where Dan Akin gets a lot of points because if Air Force is selling out on the perimeter, we know, we've seen these Aggies say, all right, guard the three all you want. Layup is still the best shot in the game, and they're very willing to take it. Yeah, besides Akin, uh, you know, Barstow is attacking the rim. Uh, he's shown he could be a slasher. Uh, Funk can get to the rim. Uh, but Dorius, you know, that's somebody who's he had a great tournament in Hawaii. Uh, a, a decent game against Fresno State, but certainly it's a, this is a matchup for him uh, that he should be able to have a pretty solid night uh, for the Aggies. Um, and the other thing, too, is that Utah State will likely have a good number of second-chance opportunities because, as we've said, this Air Force team is not very big, and they don't get a lot of offensive rebounds, um, and they struggle with rebounding in general. 
just because they're not quite the same size as their opponents. And this is somewhere. This is a, a an area where Utah State should be able to have s- uh, several second chance opportunities for them. Yeah, especially you look at Dan Akin where. In the last three games, in each of them, he's had at least three offensive rebounds. He attacks the offensive boards with a hustle that you just don't see from anyone ever. He's flying in there. All of a sudden, you, there goes an offensive rebound. All of a sudden, seven foot one Trevin Dorius comes flying into your field of vision. Like, where did he come from, and how did I miss that? <laughs> this giant of a man flying for basketball. It'd probably be terrifying if you're a six foot five guy, and all of a sudden, there's this. <laughs> 260-pound, 7'1 guy flying at you, going after the rebound. So, And, again, Dorius may not – he's not going to rack up, like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine offensive rebounds because, again, he's only going to play, um, you know, eight to ten minutes. So – but still, you know, in each of those games against SMU and Washington State and Fresno State when he's getting three, four offensive rebounds, it has an impact. It gets you extra buckets. I think all three of his offensive rebounds against Fresno State resulted in points. And that's huge. Because, you know, if you get point, you get three offensive rebounds and get points on on each of them, you know, minimum six buckets or six points. Six buckets. <laughs> six points. Six buckets. That'd be good. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a lot more points. You know, six points, as many as, what, 12 if or nine if all of them were threes. Um, so, like, and that makes a difference. Three offensive rebounds can be the difference in a game. Yeah, for uh, Air Force, you know, how well they, since they're a little bit smaller team, guard heavy, um, this is a team that can shoot the three. They're about 36% from beyond the arc. So you're not too shabby. They're about uh, ranked 70th in the country in three-point uh, percentage. Um, but um, you know, they, they average about eight, eight-and-a-half attempts per game. So They'll, they'll put it up um, so that uh, perimeter defense has to be on point for USU as well. Yeah, and this is one of the areas where it's where I think Utah State could have the most trouble because they can have trouble guarding quick, smaller guards. Granted, these guys can have size and a bit of athleticism too. Um, so, you know, 6'4", 6'5", guys who can really move. And Utah State's had trouble with some of these guys. They've had some success. But over the last few games, we've seen them really struggle with athletic guards. And so unless their perimeter defense is really on, I think they could have trouble guarding Air Force at times, especially uh, Jake Hydebreeder. Again, I don't know if I can say their names. Hydebreeder? Hydebreeder. Is that how you say it? Hydebreeder. Uh, he's averaging around 15.5 points. And mind you, 15.5 points on a slow-paced team. His per 100 possessions, um, you know, per possession scoring is closer to that you know, Stephen Ashworth, who's averaging 17, 18 points a game. This is a guy who's scoring 15 and a half on a, on a team that does not play a lot of actual basketball when it's on the court. And he's very efficient. He's shooting over. He, he's close to having 50, 40, 90 splits. He's at 49, like a hair under 50% overall. He's at 40% from three, 41%. And he's at 88% on his free throws. This is a highly efficient basketball player. And that can be incredibly dangerous because if suddenly he's having a game where you know he averages like nine attempts per game, but what if he goes you know if you're playing a game and he gets like 15, 16 attempts on this efficiency, you know you're looking like 20, 25 point game, and, and that can be incredibly dangerous, especially if this game gets slowed down the way Air Force wants, which it's probably going to dictate the pace. You can't force a team to play faster. 
it's very hard, again, unless you're just shutting them down on offense and you can get out and run, then the slower team is going to dictate the pace because it's easier for them to do what they want to do than for a faster team to force them into playing quicker. I think this uh, this Air Force team, they play a lot of guys and use a lot of guys. So, uh, as we said, Jake Heidbreeder, he's averaging you know, 15, 16 points a game. But they've got three other guys that are averaging about nine, uh, oh, uh, almost four, <laughs> that are uh, eight or nine points a game. Uh, so they have a lot of guys that they, they'll use, um, and they go deep. Uh, and there's a lot of guys that will get into the rotation. So... Uh, it'll be an interesting matchup for Utah State. Try to avenge what th- happened to them last year in uh, Colorado Springs. Again, pregame coverage at 6 with Al Lewis and Jalen Moore. And the uh, tip-off, uh, that's on KVNU. And then the uh, tip-off at 7, and you can watch the game on CBS Sports Network. When it comes to home care, it's important to know you have a choice. If you or a loved one is in need of hospice or home health services, remember that Primrose Home Care and Hospice believes in treating the patient as well as the problem. We work directly with you and your doctor to create a health plan that's catered to your needs. Our team is devoted to providing options and the freedom and safety of your own home. Visit us at primrosecare.com or call to schedule a free consultation. Primrose Home Care and Hospice, your local hospice and home health provider since 2006. As a small business, achieving your financial goals and ambitions can be a steep and rocky mountain to climb. This is Brett Green, president of Cash Valley Bank. To conquer this mountain and achieve your goals, it takes planning, hard work, and discipline. At Cash Valley Bank, we have the resources, expertise, and flexibility to help you scale your way to success. Give us a call. Let's work together and climb the mountains that await. Cash Valley Bank, member FDIC. Northern Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back. Final segment of the Full Court Press. Unfortunately, had to cut a bit of that segment off that we recorded with uh, me and Eric. Um, I went too long reading some of you guys' texts uh, coming in. Obviously, don't have an issue with that. Obviously, we always want you guys to text in. We have a couple more to get through. Um, we got one from 4781. Briefly mentioned uh, Donovan Mitchell scoring 71 points uh, You know, for the Cavs against the Bulls last night. That was one of just too many things that happened uh, on Monday. Uh, 471, he said, I don't care about Don 71. He's still going to be a bum in the playoffs. There's some. There was a mix of reactions from Utah fans. Some of them were, uh, "Oh, we let this guy go." Some of them are people like me that are saying, "Yeah, Utah still made the right decision in moving him because we weren't going to get the Donovan Mitchell um, that's playing in, like he's playing inspired basketball right now in Cleveland. He wasn't going to do that in Utah." Then there's some overlap between you know the people like me and I guess like four seven eight one. Where it's like, I'm not necessarily salty about it. It's like, yeah, I think he's going to be good in Cleveland. I don't know if he's going to be a bum in the playoffs. He's never really been a bum in the playoffs. Um, I think last year, his last year in Utah, he wasn't the same. But this is a dude who was absolutely going off in the playoffs on a regular basis his first several years in Utah. When he's playing the inspired basketball that he was playing early in his career with Utah, where he's not as, he wasn't, He's not as offensively developed as he 
is now, but he was playing really hard. He's going to do the same thing in Cleveland. I think he'll continue to have a good career, though I think it was a good re- uh, thing for Utah to move him. But anyway, that'll do it for us here. Have a good one, guys.